Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Darcy Pacquiao, the all-time great first ballot Hall of Famer, the ultra runner from Boulder, Colorado, who's been racing at the top of the sport for more than two decades. Darcy was one of my earliest inspirations. We were teammates back in the day with Pearl Izumi, if you can believe that. It's been a long time, and I've just always admired the way she's operated and the way she's competed over the course of a 22-year ultra-running career career. This is a deep convo that I really enjoyed. We talk about running and Darcy's storied career, but we also talk at length about Darcy's professional career as a therapist. We talk about aligning with our intentions. We talk about mental training, listening to our intuition and trusting ourselves. We talk about identity. We talk about motherhood and parenthood and a lot more. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. As usual, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the premium trailer equipment brand from Portland, Oregon, and the makers of the GS Tam, the new maximal trail shoe that combines mega high performance with best-in-class durability. The beautiful orange shoe inspired by the poppy flowers that are blooming all over Marin County. At the moment, this shoe can be your go-to for your fastest VO2 max workouts or carry you on your longest vision quests. I put 500 to 600 miles on every pair. I've never used another shoe that holds up under that kind of abuse. So even though it's a premium product, it's a great value and it's reliable on the toughest adventures and in the toughest environments. Grab a pair at runspeedland.com and use code freetrail10 for 10% off your purchase. We are now going into peak racing season. So if you're looking for a bit of coaching direction, you should check out Free Trail Experts. We've got a very talented group of coaches and specialists ready to help you take your game to the next level including Team USA members MK Sullivan and Hannah Allgood, Black Canyon champion Keely Henninger, world-class strength and movement coach Matt Walsh, Wilfredo Benitez and Kelly Pritchett on the nutrition front, and of course, Danielle Snyder for mindset coaching. It is an amazing group. A lot of people don't even realize that we offer coaching, and the thing that makes it cool is that if you use a free trail coach, you automatically get a free trail pro membership included, so you can enjoy top-notch coaching and at the same time, share your journey with a vibrant global community. To learn more, visit freetrail.com forward slash freetrail dash x experts or find the link in the show notes. Buckle up for a great convo with Darcy Pacu. We'll see you on the other side. Darcy Pacu, welcome to the podcast. So good to see you. Thank you for having me, Dylan. It's great to see you too. It's been a long time. Uh, you were one of my earliest heroes in the sport. And maybe later on in the conversation, we can recount some of our fun stories from the old Pearl Izumi days. But uh. Someone just recently posted, I think it was today, I saw something that I Run Far posted about a Pearl Izumi photo shoot. And we were all there. <laughs> Those were the Clark and Timmy Olson and Scott Jaime and Ashley Nordell. And we were all there. It was, that was a good, those were good, good times. Legends. Maybe let's just, (laughs) let's start here. Maybe let's just tell the story briefly of the somewhat intoxicated lap on Bear Mountain or it was Green Mountain, I think in the middle of the night. I was thinking more about doing the worm on the dance floor. (laughs) That was the same night, I think. It totally was. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
give the two we, minute version. We run far, and we also know how to <laughs> how to have a good time yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, I was the loser that night. It was yeah, you and Timothy Olson and Nick Clark, Scott Jaime. Yeah. I think Ian Torrance was there and after <laughs> several beverages and some dancing, you guys did a midnight yes. lap on Green Mountain. This is like circa 2011. So, I mean, it, it feels like yesterday, but it really wasn't. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I was very much yeah, in the peak good. of my partying career at that point. And so <laughs> seeing legends like you and Timothy, Scott Jaime, Ian Torrance all performing well at the bar made me think this is the sport. <laughs> for me so anyway yeah absolutely uh, thank you for the yeah, early inspiration was... <laughs> um well, yeah you... well welcome to the show it's so good to have you and um Thanks. i feel like we have a ton to talk about i think maybe taking it in three parts you the runner mm -hmm. you the therapist slash counselor and you the mother i feel like that gives us three amazing identities and categories from which we can sort of shape the conversation. And maybe let's start with running. I was going back as I was just telling you and looking at some of your Instagram posts and revisiting some of your I Run Far interviews. And it was before Hard Rock last year that you were sort of, I think, dealing with a little bit of a not identity crisis, but maybe a different relationship with the sport of running. So maybe let's just start there. Where are you with your running specifically with competition and maybe how has that evolved in recent years? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's continuously evolving all the time for all of us. And I think what I noticed over the last several years is just sort of a decline in terms of my motivation to truly race, like to get out there and be neck and neck with people. Um, I think that's the biggest piece that sort of started to fall away for me. And I think I've just been sort of like trying to be more curious about, okay, what does this look like for me now? And it's, it's gone in all different directions. I mean, there are days where I'm like, I don't, you know, I've, I've definitely gone through a period where I thought I didn't want to race again. Um, and I, I think I'm just kind of discovering now that I still, I really still truly love, I love long day adventures. I love doing long runs. I love being in the mountains um, and I love the community. So how do I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring it out right now, but I'm trying to, yeah, really just be clear about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and um, be super intentional with with the choices I make and the adventures that I take on. And um, I did sign up for a couple of races, <laughs> um, but you know, some of it was related to dear old friends saying, "Hey, will you do this with me?" And of course, you know, of course, yeah. I'm going to do that with with one of my best friends from college um, to run another hundred. And, um, yeah, and I was hoping to get into my 10th hard rock this year, but I didn't get in. So then I just sort of, I had been, you know, everyone had been talking about high lonesome 100 for years. And yeah. I thought, you know, maybe I'll just try and get into high lonesome and just check out the course. And I, sure enough, I got into high lonesome. So, um, so I'm going to do high lonesome, which I'm excited about. I'm just excited to see a new course. Yeah. And that's kind of always been the spirit of the the sport for me is like 
exploration and going to see a new place. And um, yeah. And then I have, I have some upcoming really big personal adventures that I have um, coming up in the next month. So I'm super excited about that. And yeah, so I'm just, I'm finding my yeah. way. Um, you know, I think we, we all face this, this time in our careers and our lives where we have to kind of figure out like what, what this sport looks like for us. And, and I'm there and there's no roadmap and it's like, okay, you know, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Um, I've been, as of late, I've been really throwing myself into my work. So yeah. I'm working a ton. Um, I'm not running as much right now currently. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't love to, to get out there still. Yeah. And it just, it's, it just looks a little different now. Um, yeah. So that was a long winded answer to your no, question. I, I could go, I could go on and on about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we could spend the entire episode just sort of reacting yeah. to that one answer because I mean, you're fourth on the hard rock wait list. We're both fourth on the hard rock wait list right now. So right now? yeah, we both are. Oh, really? Yes. Oh my God, I didn't even know that. Yes. I, I double <laughs> checked. This is how I operate. Yeah. Yeah. I double checked. So I don't think it's necessarily oh. out of the question for you to get your 10th oh. this year, but we don't need oh, to. Oh, well then that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then I can be done and then my spot will be open for someone else. Yeah, but if not high lonesome <laughs> seems like it'll be fun too, but you mentioned yeah. being intentional, and I think this will be a good lead into eventually coming around and talking about your work. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that you mentioned in your I Run Far interview is just like really wanting to align with your intention and making sure that you have pure intentions, more or less. And I feel like mm -hmm. now with this evolution in terms of your relationship with competition, it's a good opportunity to check in with that intention. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if maybe you want to share a little bit about the practice of identifying your intention and making sure that it's pure. Mm. Gosh, I mean, like, do you mean kind of how I go about doing that or? Well, one of the things that stuck out to me was that last year, the day before Bighorn, you pulled yourself out of the race. And mm -hmm. and then you sort of said that you were almost unsure whether you ever wanted to race again, but you decided mm -hmm. you wanted to go to hard rock and that it was very clear why you were there. So it more or less just sort of like how you go about figuring out what your why is and making sure that yeah. it's based on something that is pure rather than based on, you know, chasing podiums still, because you've been doing that for yeah two decades. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, if I, when I think about intention, I think about like the, the internal knowing part of what we all have, right. We all have that like internal part of ourselves that goes, yes. Like there's a hell yes to the answer when we ask ourselves that like a question of whether or not we want to do something. Um, and so when that shows up for me, that's usually the cue for me. And I know that sounds kind of simple, um, but I think it's the difference is, or maybe the shift for me has been that instead of just sort of like, I guess just going, okay, I've got to do X, Y, and Z, you know, and like checking off the boxes for myself, I'm 
it's more about like, what do like going inside asking myself, what do I want and what do I want to do and what's important and what feels meaningful and authentic to me. And then like operating from that place, as opposed to, you know, just sort of signing up for races because I think I need to sign up for races. Mm. Yeah. And I think I, 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 I think I've kind of like ebbed and flowed through that over the years. Um, but I'm finding more and more clarity and who knows, maybe that's just getting older or I don't know what it is, but yeah, I feel like I have a little more clarity. I mean, I spend a lot now, I spend a lot of time, a lot of time journaling, a lot of time actually like setting intentions for myself and like, what do I want to create in my life? And what do I want my life to look like? Those types of things. Mm. And, um, that also maybe seems kind of simple, but, um, but it's something that I try to practice now on a daily basis. So you actually put pen to paper to create Mm -hmm. those intentions and shape them and create a process towards them. Yeah. Oh yeah. What does that look like for you? I love it. Um, I try to do it in the morning, like before going for a run, ideally, if I can, um, you know, right now getting in running is like, I try to squeeze it in before I go to work. And that's like maybe an hour or so at most before I go to work, I try to sit down, I try to do like a meditation and then do some journaling. And that's like, I mean, I'm setting, I'm trying to set actually like more daily intentions, but then like maybe weekly, there's sort of like a longer term intention that I'm setting for myself, whether it's focused on career or relationship or, you know, running, whatever it might be. This is fantastic. These are my favorite conversations, the ones where it sort of peripherally (laughs) involves running, but where we can really go deep Mm -hmm. on more of the philosophical parts of our lives and parts of ourselves On your website, it says something like it's often when our previous identities start to wane that we have our biggest opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so in line with this conversation of your competitive instinct and your competitive identity waning, where do you view your biggest opportunity for growth right now? Internal, all, all internal, um, Yeah, that's solely what I'm focused on right now is just like reconnecting. This is going to sound real cheesy, Dylan. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) Um, Your brother can probably relate to this. (laughs) Um, It's really about for me right now is like reconnecting with my my heart, like my heart center and um like feeling full regardless of what is external, what's happening externally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my sole focus right now. So, and regardless of if I can run or um, anything. So like, that's my, my priority. Um, at one point, you know, running was my priority or at one point my daughter was my priority. I mean, and of course those things are still priorities. Um but this is this is up there now for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes me feel like we should just go ahead and start talking about your career and what you do professionally <laughs> and then come back around and talking more about running. You're a therapist, yeah. which mm-hmm. may 
we may have already mentioned, but it's probably mm-hmm. clear with the way our conversation has started. But it takes a <laughs> certain personality, I think, to want to shoulder the emotional burden for other people. So maybe just to start this part of our conversation, at what point did you realize you wanted to be a therapist and why? Mm. Um, really, it was just this knowing like when you, when I thought about what I wanted to do for work career, I knew I wanted to help people. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I knew that I had to, if I was going to devote that much time to something, I had to feel like I was giving back to community to like the greater good at large, I guess, if you will. So that was, I think that's like the, the, what's pushing me, what's, what's driving me in my work and I work both in an elementary school and I work also in private practice. So, and so I have kind of had this range of ages that I, that I work with, which is, is also really wonderful and rewarding and really challenging all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to sort of like, so you, you knew you wanted to help people. What was Mm -hmm. it about? therapy or counseling that aligned with your personality and with your goals for yourself. I mean, if it, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just, it it takes again, a certain person, I think, to want to shoulder other people's baggage, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean. And yeah, is that something that has always been sort of part of your personality? Um, I don't know if it's always been part of my personality. Um, I think I, you know, I definitely witnessed family members struggling with mental health issues growing up. And so there was a part of me, I know that probably was just wanting to understand the mind a little bit more and wanting to like dive into that subject matter because maybe because of that, just because of what I saw growing up. Um, And, and then, I mean, I think the real impetus was that I was, I was leading wilderness courses for Outward Bound, like way back in the day and in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And, um, and I was working with adolescents who were really struggling, like being out in the, in the elements, being in the mountains brought all of this, you know, all these things to the surface for these individuals. And so, um, at the time I didn't really have the tools to work with these people. Mm. Um, typically they were, they were younger kids, but some adults as well. And, um, and I realized that I, that I wanted to, to learn more about how to help people when those types of things showed up for them. Yeah. Yeah. So you were just sort of talking about intuition and sort of connecting with your heart mm-hmm. and sort of having at least a subtle awareness about what's right for you in given moments. And this is one of the biggest breakthroughs I had in therapy last year was just mm. the reliability of my intuition in hard moments and learning to trust it. Can you talk more about how you encourage the people you work with to listen to that? subtle voice? Mm. Yeah. Um, gosh, you just put it so, so eloquently. So (laughs) thank you for that. Um, I mean, I really, I think it's 
that deep sense of knowing is different for all of us. So a lot of it is helping people to just be curious about like, it could be, it could be like a somatic, like a body type sensation that you have that is that all knowing feeling that you're like, oh yes, this is the right decision for me. Um, but it could look differently for, for someone else. So it's really about helping each individual to uncover what that looks like for them because it's different for everyone. I think, um, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but, um, for me, it's like, I, I talk about like the, your higher self and your, your smaller self, like kind of like not operating from the ego as much and operating from that, like your true self mm-hmm. is what I call it. Like that you're, you're really operating from a place of that part of you that when somebody asks, asks you a question, you just know the answer. It's just mm-hmm. like, it flows out of you. There is no question that shows up that that's like, uh, there's no battle. There's no internal battle there. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the, the ease of, and the flow of what shows up for you is what you trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to use my own personal example without going into much detail, I was just struggling with a really like existential question where there was major consequences in both directions. And my therapist was just like, what does your intuition say? And it was so clear what my intuition Mm -hmm. said. And so finally I aligned my actions with my intuition and it turned out to be absolutely the right decision for me. And ever since then, I've just always sort of thought like, okay, what does my intuition actually feel in this moment? And it's been a fairly powerful and very simple tool that I think a lot of people can practically apply. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all about like trusting yourself which is, I think sometimes goes back to just feeling like you're connected to that, that what I was talking about, that mm-hmm. heart center, you're, if you're connected to that, you have to trust that you know what the answer, the right answer is for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what you're speaking to. Definitely. But mm-hmm. it takes practice. And I think this is another great thing for you to just chat about because you talk often about the importance of mental training And you have a calm, peaceful demeanor about you. And I wonder to what extent, you know, the nature versus nurture question, like to what extent do you actually practice? You mentioned sort of the journaling and meditation. So if you want to say anything else about sort of the practical mental training and the consistency that it takes, I think people would find it valuable. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I do think consistency is the key. I think consistency and um, like repetitiveness is super important. So, yeah, I mean, I would go as far as to say that every day, if you can get, you know, some type of what I say is just stillness practice um, or a sitting practice, like basically just the art of non-doing. So not, not necessarily like, something you have to like add into your day or something that you have to like strive for or a goal to get to just that you have time set aside every single day where you're just sitting and the mind can wander, but you bring your focus back to your breath. Um, and something, you know, I, for everyone, it's different. I mean, I have, I've 
worked with someone for years who says no less than 30 minutes. But sometimes when you say 30 minutes to people, they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to spend 30 minutes sitting on a cushion. Um, but, you know, some people would argue that that lasts, you know, tw it takes 20 minutes for the nervous system to kind of come down. And then it's that last 10 minutes of time where your nervous system is finally sort of settled, where you're actually getting like the real juice from the from the practice. Um, but I, I encourage people, if, even if it's five minutes, that's great. Um, but just to find that time and consistency every day, I think is really important. And I try to do that for me. It has to work for you. Like whatever the time is a day, it has to work for, for your schedule mm -hmm. and for, you know, your, your clock. Um, I have to do it in the morning because I know if I don't, it never happens. Yeah. It won't happen for me beyond that time. So, um, and that's usually before anybody else is up. Maybe yeah. my daughter, but I have a teenager now, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll get around That's to talking hard. about her. She's yeah. sleeping. This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, my increasing training load and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product. And I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized. And especially in my training, I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs. And it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners. So go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com. Look up the ketone IQ. Use code freetrail20 for 20% off. hvmn.com. Use code freetrail20. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously relatable for athletes, right? Like training is the core part of whether or not we achieve our goals or not. And when you put it in that context, it I think it becomes a lot more approachable to athletes. So maybe this is a good opportunity to bring it back to running and your illustrious career that spanned more than two decades. To what extent do you attribute that success to the mental training that you've always employed in your career and maybe anything else that you can add about just like the steadying nature of making that a core part of your life? Well, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was a religious, um, I didn't have a religious meditation practice all those years, especially not when I was in my twenties. Um, I would say it, it, it came to me more like in my, 30s, I would say. Um, and so, I, I mean, I don't really, I've always been asked that question. And I think it's an inherent, like internal drive that I have that has pushed me for so many years. Mm. And it's not something that I don't think it's something you can 
like train into someone. I think it's just there or it's not. Um, and, and where that comes from, I don't know, you know, my, it could be, you know, familial, it could be genetic, who knows, but I think that, um, it's funny, I had an experience recently where I, I go in waves, like there are days where I just, I, I want to push myself. And then there are days where like, I'm, I'm like repelled by it. And it's very, it's really interesting. And I try to actually now what I try to do, and I think this is where I'm learning to listen more is that when I'm feeling like repelled by pushing myself, I don't push myself. Mm. I either I choose to go to yoga or not run at all or sit on the cushion or, you know, just not get out at all that day. Um, Whereas I think early on, I would have like beaten myself up to get out the door to train to, you know, and I don't do that anymore. Um, so that was a big shift for me. And that really has only happened over the last two years, I would say year and a half. Um, but so, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things that are in transition now, but, um, I don't know if I really answered your question. <laughs> no, you definitely did. So yeah. maybe, I'm also curious, I mean, being in the sport now for 20 plus years, that means that you got into it way before it was cool. And <laughs> I'd love to know. Just, oh, it was cool. Back right. Then. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> but I mean, you were a pioneer, you know, especially in the women's side of the sport. I mean, your first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I'd love to hear why the Thank sport you. spoke to you at that point in your mid 20s and who some of your early influences were? Yeah. Um, early influences were, well, I don't even, you, you know, Stephanie Arrett and Peter Backwin. Barely. I, I mean, I, I know their names. Were. Yeah. I know their names. <laughs> yeah. Know I mean, they were, you know, Stephanie was really insp inspiring for me really early on. Um, and I took, I definitely took whatever advice they were willing to give me to heart. And, um, I think that even to this day, a lot of the things that Steph and, and Peter shared with me were really good bits of information, like just little things like keep it simple and run your own race. I mean, those are like the two probably biggest nuggets of wisdom. If you can actually embody those things are pretty, um, pretty essential. So yeah, I mean, I was follow, I feel like I was following, I, I feel like when I entered in, the women that were actually winning at the time were in their 40s. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. And and when it shifted to like, um, I feel like when I was in my 30s, then all the women who started winning were in their 20s, mm -hmm. right? Like, so the, the sport just got younger mm -hmm. and younger. Um, like I didn't, the, you saw way less people that were in it who, well, way less people, people in general, but way less people who are younger in the sport initially. Yeah. So then like thinking about your career as a whole, I mean, hundred plus ultra finishes over 20 plus years, call it five finishes a year. I mean, that's remarkable consistency over time, just participation, let alone like actual performance. 
What do you attribute that to? I mean, just like the steadiness over time, what sort of bits of wisdom do you think people could implement to have similar consistency and longevity? Hmm. Not overtraining. Um, I really don't log that. Like, I just don't log high mileage, hardly ever. So, um, but I, I don't know if that works for everybody. Yeah. I've always kind of adopted to that. I think only because I, um, I try to seek out more balance in my life. I think that it's like, I have work and my daughter and, you know, I, I, I tend to not pour everything. Running is not like number one for yeah. me. Um, so I think that's helped me to like have longevity in the sport. I also didn't run in college, so I didn't ha- I didn't pound on my myself in college. Yeah. Um, so I, I was really fortunate that I didn't suffer a lot of injury early on. And I had a, like a lot of years where I was injury free. So I was really fortunate, like whether it was that my body was just well designed for ultra running, I'm not sure, but I was really lucky in that sense. Yeah. Was running ever number one for you? Mm, maybe. But the fact that it's but it it's feels hard like to, it was short lived. Yeah. I mean it the, was yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's like it takes a lot of thought to give that an answer indicates that you have been well balanced and you've had a lot of other things that have been personally, yeah. emotionally, psychologically stimulating over that time. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything about the value that, you know, that being well-rounded and well-balanced can bring to athletic performance specifically? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if we, you know, if we, if we put all of our eggs into one basket, it's, it's never, never a great thing. <laughs> Right. You're sort of like guaranteed disappointment. Um, yeah, I mean, when I think about longevity, I mean, I, gosh, I don't know. That's, that's a really good, that's a good question. You're making me think a lot, Dylan. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah. I think it's, that I I've, am similarly, you know, at a moment in my career where things are changing and, mm-hmm you have those internal struggles of do you sort of try and keep the dream alive in order to satisfy some, you know, sort of like outward perception of yourself and keep that, Mm. you know, sort of like, what is at the forefront or do you follow the intuition and to like actually kind of, yeah, like forge a new path and turn a new page and enter a new chapter. And I think that's often like a really difficult period of people's lives, you know? Very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, there, people don't talk about it that often. So I appreciate that, that we're talking about it, you know, just this, this transition of, I mean, we all age, right? We all, we all get older. We all have to decide, like, do I keep, do I keep doing this thing that I really love or do I give it up completely? And I'm, I don't, I'll never give up running Mm -hmm. completely. I hope, I mean, knock on wood, I hope my body will hold out for me for 
as long as it can. Um, whether or not I'm like out doing hundred mile races forever, I have no idea. I, I kind of adhere to like, never say never. Um, and I'm still, I'm still figuring out this transition for myself really right now. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's, it's something that like, there's no, um, I don't think anyone has like the right answer. You have to just figure out what is, what's right for you. Right. And, mm-hmm. and how to, what path you're going to take. And, and it keeps kind of changing for me, honestly. Like, so, like I said before, some days I think I'm not going to race anymore. And then, and then a friend reaches out and says, Hey, come do Bighorn with me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just, I, yeah, it's, uh, and then, then you just trust your gut. Yeah. In yeah. My- and for me, it's more about like, can I, can I get to the start line and be okay with not winning anymore? You yeah. know? And, and that's, that's hard, right? That's all ego. So, you know, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of that work that I think has to be, has to be done. What has been your relationship with competition over the year? Cause you've never struck me as somebody who has really put <laughs> all your emotional or like self-identity into whether you win races or not. Mm-hmm. Is that a, is that a mischaracterization? Are you more competitive than you come across? I think I have, I'm definitely competitive for sure. I mean, I don't think you do this sport and do, you know, race for this long without having an internal competitiveness, you know, part of your personality. Um, that's definitely a part of me. Um, and, and I, I like it to some extent, I think. And I, I I actually, there's something about suffering. I like, like, I kind of like that element of our sport. Um, but I think now it's shifted to like, I can see the difference between unhealthy and healthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know if I necessarily had that perspective. I think there was more of a, like, I have to beat myself up to, to feel relaxed at the end of the day. But now I don't feel that anymore. And that's huge. That's like a huge relief. Um, but I think you, you realize after, you know, I mean, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but you realize after race, after race, after race, you realize like, Oh, it feels great for a little bit. Right. But it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just running. (laughs) It's just, it's just a race. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like, I mean, it's even weird for me to think how much, sometimes I think I can't even believe I did that for so, I've been doing this for so long (laughs) and how much time I have spent on the trails and it's wild to think about. It really is. Um, And I don't even think a lot of the times I had that like perception of it. I didn't even realize how much time I was taking to do this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as I've stepped back a little bit, I have, I have more perspective on it. Along those lines, I'd love for you to talk about kind of decoupling who we are from what we do and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in the conversation about moving into new chapters as athletes, it's also a point where you have to really kind of confront your 
personal identity. And as a therapist slash counselor, I'm sure this is something that comes up in your practice quite a bit of, you know, not getting so caught up in the stories that we're telling ourselves and in subjective feedback we may be receiving from the outside world, but instead Mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, like you said earlier, kind of aligning with our intention rather than a perceived identity. Is there anything there you want to expand on? Yeah, (laughs) I guess there's a lot there. Um, I I think it goes for me when I think about my identity as a runner. I know now that like, I think it's, again, it's going back to connecting with that, that whatever you want to call it, soul or heart center or spirit or whatever it is that you, however you label it for yourself. But I think when you connect with that part of yourself, you realize that, that you're so much more than the sport of running right? Um, or, or whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're, whether it's your career or, um, or your, your sport or whatever it is that you are, that that's not who you are. Right. And, and we could get into like the, the, who you really are part of it. Um, but that might be a little bit, that might be for another, another topic, another, another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're just the one like, you know, watching mm. the play unfold. Yeah. So I think there's a, there is a little bit of a detachment from like when you're overly identified with that part of yourself, I think that's when we can spiral and, and suffer a little bit more. I'd love for you to talk about the movement based therapy that you do. I think we can all identify as runners, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. time outside and the importance that we find in just like being alone on the trails. And there's the cliche that running is my therapy, which has a lot of truth in it for a lot of people. But I'd love for you to talk about the value of movement-based therapy and its practical application with people who don't necessarily devote their lives to trail running. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think you just spoke to something I was going to, I had that in my, my mind before when you asked a different question about, um, yeah, just, just being out in nature and that for me, at least connecting with the natural world is where I find my like truest self. And I think that in a traditional office setting for some, it can feel really confining. It can feel really restrictive and, and and maybe people are a little apprehensive to share, you know, and, and, or be vulnerable, um, with someone that they've just met. Right. So, and I find you get people outside and moving on the trails, not running, just walking, um, that people feel more comfortable to share and to talk about what's going on in their lives I think sometimes more so than they can in a like traditional office setting where you're sitting across from someone and it might feel kind of awkward. So yeah, you started your career, I think, and you still work with a lot of kids, young people. Mm -hmm. And of course you also work with adults. And I think a lot of 
athletes as well. Can you talk about that evolution in your career and maybe the difference between kind of interacting with the the youth and the challenges that they specifically face in today's world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if my daughter was listening, she'd be like rolling her eyes at me right now because I preach to my daughter and to a lot of parents and teens about technology and the importance of um, helping teens and kids to regulate their usage because I do see it as um, I, this is going to, this, this might not go over very well, but it's like, I feel like it's like the cancer in our society right now for, especially for youth that are growing up with um, social media and having phones and they are, they are in, in a lot of ways, it's unavoidable Mm -hmm. um, to, to at some point give your child a phone. Um, And it's, it's hard. It's really hard to navigate as a parent. And, um, but I do think like, right. So these things were, devised to be addictive and our kids are going to get addicted if they're not already. And so we actually have, as parents, we have to regulate it for them. So I do a lot of like educating with parents around like setting screen limits and the importance of that and like really setting rules and guidelines for children around phone usage because it's causing a lot of depression. It's causing a lot of anxiety for kids. Um, and there's tons of research out there on this. So I don't know. Yeah. That's like, again, that's probably a, that's a whole other podcast yeah. in of itself too. But, um, I feel like that's like the main overarching challenge that I see. Um, and you know, and then there's, then there's COVID that impacted, you know, impacted all of us. Um, and then in particular, I think it, it impacted the younger generation because it put them, not only did it put them back academically because a lot of kids did not do well with online learning. Um, oops, sorry, my earplug went out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, but it also, I think it created this sense of isolation for a lot of kids. So a lot of kids were, on their devices, isolated in their house, not connecting on a human level with their friends and peers and teachers and whatnot. So, um, so we're going to be, I think we're going to be dealing with the aftermath of that for many years to come. Yeah. I was just reading about this stuff today. And of course I'm a new dad and can't help but worry about the digital world that my son's going to grow up in. There's also startling statistics about the drop in participation in youth sports. Mm. And it's something that I think you and I both recognize to be massively important in our lives at a young age. I mean, I know you weren't a runner, neither was I, but Mm -hmm. I was a team sports athlete. And without that, I fear, I mean, I I have no idea what would have happened to me growing up, but it was the one thing that provided purpose and structure in my life as parents. And now, obviously, that activity has transformed into being out in the mountains and doing the thing that you and I both really love. So 
I don't know if you have anything you want to add about like youth participation in sport or the way that you and Sophia interact to sort of ensure that the next generation also experiences the joy of the simple joy of just being outside with friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important. And, and for, you know, her dad and I encourage her to be in sports. Um, and we will, we will throughout high school. She's, she's entering high school next year and she swims almost every day and runs once or twice a week with both with teams. Um, and we'll continue that in high school. And I think it, I think it's very important. I know that not, not every child has resources to, to do those things, um, so I think it's really important that, you know, that the teams like like the great thing is like middle school, there are team sports, typically high school, there are team sports. Right. So um, so there's opportunity for kids who might not have resources to like access certain sports, um, but there's opportunities, I think, once they enter into middle school. And, you know, I think whatever it is, it could, whatever it is, it could be disc golf. It doesn't matter. But I think, yes, it's I a think great it's sport. so important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for them to have something that they, that they do that gets them outside that's physical, I mean, fresh air exercise, they are utmost importance yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, fortunately we don't have, we don't, video games are not a part of our life. Um, but, you know, I, it is a lot of kids have are completely, you know, plugged in and doing that regularly after school. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to fight the, all of it because school now runs on computers, right? So they kind of have to be on devices to do schoolwork. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> Different. It's sort of a constant, you know, thing that we're trying to find again. Yeah, yeah. Trying to find balance with and, um, but yes, I think it's, it's, it's really important for yeah. us to, to keep our daughter in, in sports. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the new salted margarita flavor of Gnarly Hydrate made with extra sodium, 500 milligrams per serving to be exact. As we head into the summer months, hotter weather means more loss of fluid, means greater need to supplement electrolytes. You guys know I am an electrolyte evangelist. Sodium, magnesium, chloride, and potassium are critical for proper hydration level, nerve function, muscle function, and body pH, all important stuff for performing at our best out on the trails. Guys, this product might be my favorite gnarly product of all time. You must give it a try. Delicious margarita flavor, some savory saltiness to it, and all the electrolytes and B vitamins you need, especially for us salty sweaters. As they say, it tastes like the real thing, but it won't make you dance on the tables and it won't make you wake up with a headache. Gnarly Hydrate Salted Margarita. Find it at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. So to bring it back to your athletic career, Obviously, Sophia has been a big part of it. I'd love for you to just say a few words about how you've used running and your position within it to have a positive influence on Sophia and how has it added depth to your guys' relationship? 
You know, I, I think it's, 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 it's changed, right? I mean, when they're, when they're little, they're like, I think they're looking up to you and, um, and it's in some ways it's harder because you come in and out of an aid station and they're like, where are you going? Right. They can't really understand it. They can't comprehend why you'd come in and leave again. Um, but I, I do think, you know, now I don't, I don't, I pick and choose what I involve her in um, because I think it can be too much to, to like involve your child in, in all of it. Um, but I think just without necessarily trying, I have inspired her in some ways. And I also, at the same time, have to be really careful about not pushing her. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, this is going to sound kind of weird, but because I've been successful in running, she, I know she sees that. And so I don't want her to think that she has to win to like, to, to be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. To, to be successful. Um, you can, and I think that's something that we, we talk with her a lot about because both her dad and I have have raced a lot and done well in sports and, um, you know, just, just keeping her out there regardless of how she's doing is, is super important. So, you know, it's, it's, it's finding a balance of like, now it's really not, I mean, it's not about me anymore. It's, she's got her own thing. She's doing her own sports and we're just there trying to like support her, encourage her to just to stay in it. And, and I think boys and girls are a little bit different, like at least girls as they enter into like, teenager teenager years and hormones and all the things that for me it's really about just keeping her invested and interested in in something um because i think it's it's hard because your body changes their body changes and you see a lot of kids falling off because they're like oh my body's changing and i don't want to stay in the sport Mm -hmm. um so for me it's all about just it doesn't matter if you're if you're winning just stay in it as long as you enjoy it it's almost a great opportunity for you as you sort of transition out of the period of your life where you're really interested in chasing podiums for Sophia to see you to still, still being active within the community and pursuing what you love in the outdoors without that podium performance as the vindication, validation, or, you know, ultimate reward at the end of the practice. That's uh right. Maybe along this line too, I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, just sort of aging as an athlete and the way in which people can do it gracefully. This is certainly something that I think about quite a lot. And you, again, have been so successful over the course of more than two decades and have provided, I think, a great example of how you can age with grace as a professional athlete is there anything there that you'd like to expand on? I, you know, sometimes it doesn't always feel graceful. So <laughs> thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, you know, we talk a lot about balance and how to find balance. And I think I'm, I'm learning more about that and trying to be a little bit more deliberate about being more balanced in my life in terms of, not just running, but, you know, and everyone talks about cross training, but I think I'm, I'm implementing that 
even more so now. I'm implementing more strength work now than I probably have in the past. Um, and, and paying attention to like, when do I need to really be, I mean, my Theragun is like my best friend now. So <laughs> I'm like walking around the house with my Theragun now because I realize how important it is to, to, um, to stay, to not be as tight all the time. Um, you know, I didn't, I just, I got away. I was really fortunate. I got away with doing very little of anything besides running for a really long time. And, and now I'm, I'm much more in tune with when I need to, like I said before, you know, take a break, go to yoga instead of run, maybe get on a bike in the summertime. I'm a fair weather biker. Um, and I, and, and like the winter time I ski a ton. So like I am every opportunity I can, I am doing schemo. Um, so I, that is like, Skiing is my other passion. Yeah. So I, I usually am skiing every single weekend and whether that's uphill, you know, uphill skiing, downhill skiing, or just, or just Alpine skiing. Um, and I, I think there was a couple winters there where I, where I was trying to train through the winter and that was not a good decision for me. Like I have to have my winters be more focused on skiing and that kind of helps me mentally reset too. Mm. And then my, my desire to, to be out there running, I feel like comes back more, more easily. Fantastic. So yeah. kind of moving towards the end, some philosophical things. Did you watch the Stutz documentary on Netflix? Yes. So good. Wasn't it? So good. I loved, I loved everything about it. I think when I, when I watched it, I laid in bed and just wrote notes. I just took did notes you? on the whole thing. I yeah. kind of did too. And I, I, I've watched it twice. And I think some of the principles are just those like really elegant, clean, simple solutions that you can just keep in the back of your head forever. But one of the things Absolutely. that I- And it's beautiful. Like the, their, their relationship, I think is so- it's just so beautiful to watch. Yeah. And I think that's like, oops, sorry. Sorry, I thought I had the do not disturb. Oh, I do good. have it on. That's weird. Hopefully it's not an emergency. Sorry, Dylan. All good. Sorry about that. We can. Oh my God, can, is that going to be in the podcast? <laughs> we can probably cut it out. It doesn't matter if it is. Oh God. Wait, now I don't even see you. So weird. Oh, there you are. Okay. There we go. Well, I mean, one of the things that I thought was cool about the film is that it sort of has the underlying theme of no matter how successful you become, you're never going to be free from sort of hard work and pain mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. And I think mm -hmm. for a lot of us, we always have this instinct that at some point in the future, I'll hit some new status and be able to relax and be happy forever. And I wondered if you wanted to <laughs> talk about shifting the focus as a therapist from cultivating happiness from external sources versus shifting that focus internally. Like how to do that? <laughs> yeah. Or just, I don't know if it's, yeah. I mean, asking you how to do that is maybe too much, but <laughs> yeah. any any comments yeah. i think that, that was just sort of like the main takeaway from the documentary for me was just the fact that it's never going to end you know you got to find mm. peace and calm in this moment yeah well i think you find that that 
you know, if you're chasing the carrot, you're always going to be chasing the carrot. You're never going to really catch it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've, you've probably won and done every race that you're going to win and do right at this point. So it's kind of like, what, what else? So, so it's, you're not, happiness doesn't come from that medal you got from your race. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Um, yeah, it, it's, it only comes from within. Yeah. And, and that only comes from a lot of personal work. Um, sometimes it's allowing really painful situations to be sort of like a, you know, a wake up call or, you know, there, there are, I, I oftentimes think like the, the hardest experiences we have in our life are our greatest teachers. Um, so I'm, I'm always kind of in that space of, you know, diving into that and, and pain can also be a really good teacher to us along the same lines, both, you know, emotional pain and physical pain. At the risk of asking a personal question, can you provide an example of a hard moment that ended up being your greatest teacher? Mm. Relationship ending and um, feeling like it's the end of the world, but really it was the calling to go to like reconnect with mm. myself and to like really find clarity in what direction my life was going in. Mm. Um, and I think that can come. And I think too, just with this transition in running too, it's, it's been really challenging. Mm. And so, um, but it's been, it's, I mean, running is like one of the best teachers as well. Is there yeah. any sense of grief in this transition in your running? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, it's, I, it's not necessary. I haven't really like attached too much of a story to it. There's just, there's just been, there has been sadness around it um, without much of a story, but just, um, Yeah. Is it the story yeah. that makes things painful in a lot of cases? Oh, always, yeah. always. That's the, that's where we suffer. Yeah. yeah. When we attach story to the feeling, then we suffer. It's yeah. so true, isn't it? Yeah, it is very true. Well, Darcy, I feel like I owe you some money for this therapy session. It's been super fun to reconnect <laughs> and chat, but a um, couple more like, yeah, philosophical closing questions for you before I let you go. Number one is who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport? And why is it that you admire that person? I read that question and I really had to think for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, Rock Horton is like, like a kind of like a brother to me. Um, so inside the sport, I would say him. And if I, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if everyone on this podcast knows rock, but, uh, no, yeah, just he's, he's gen, his genuine nature and how authentic he is and how true to his, his own personal values he is, is something that I really admire and respect. Um, and he's also, you know, longtime hard rocker, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he's a, in, in my opinion, he's like a force in the, the ultra running community. 
Um, and then I think, you know, just in general, outside of the sport, sorry, my, my cat's attacking me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, really just people who are like authentic and genuine and vulnerable. And like, I appreciate having these kinds of conversations. It's really fun that, that we can sort of like come back to this. And I mean, you're a lot younger than I am, but like, even just seeing you like, you know, grow in this sport and all the success that you've had and, and then being able to come back to this kind of like really cool, um, heartfelt conversation is, is really meaningful to me. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Brock Horton is an absolute legend. I got to get him on the pod eventually. Yeah, you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, final question for you here, Darcy, and then we'll let you go. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your long storied, super successful career as an athlete? I couldn't come up with one. So I had to come up with multiple. Is that okay? Can I share a couple? Go ahead. Can I, I had to write them down too. Cause I did really love that question. Um, it's show, it, going back to the simplicity piece that, that um, simplicity is the key. And what I've found is that the things I'm most grateful for in life are the simplest things. Mm. Um, the other is we can do hard things. Um, again, pain is sometimes our greatest teacher. And our bodies have an incredible ability to heal themselves. Beautiful. What a great place to end. Darcy, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thanks for being one of my personal inspirations in the sport. Oh, likewise, Dylan. I hope, uh, I hope we both move off the hard rock wait list and we can go do that <laughs> lap in the San Juans together this summer. There you have it, folks. So great to get Darcy on the show. One of the all-time greats at a transition point in her career. Great to get her on and hear her speak openly about a lot of amazing topics and sharing her wisdom. You can visit the show notes for links to Darcy's website where you can see her offerings for counseling and coaching. If her words had an impact on you, that's where you can learn more. If you enjoy what we do here at Free Trail, we would love if you would become a member of Free Trail Pro, the global community of passionate trail runners around the world. Join the Free Trail Slack where we have more than 750 trail runners there enjoying fun digital digital banter about sport and life in general. Use our catalog of training plans, which are completely free for members. Enjoy deeper discounts with our brand partners and a lot more. You can check that out at a link in the show notes. Thank you to our sponsors. Speedland, run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off those great nutrition products, including the new salted margarita, gnarly hydrate, HVMN, visit hvmn.com. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off the Ketone IQ supplement. Appreciate you all for listening. Love you dearly. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.